We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. A Cooley and Kevin Friday. Uh, a lot of discussion about the two championship games on Sunday. Actually, two really, really good matchups, Chris. Like Bucks, Packers, Brady Rodgers, and then Bills Chiefs. Josh Allen versus most likely Patrick Mahomes. I mean, these are these are two really, really intriguing and compelling matchups. I'm really excited about Sunday. Are you? I'm so excited about Sunday. And uh, this is going to sound really weird, but I'm almost tired of watching a lot of football over the weekend. I'm ready to just watch two games. <laughs> really see that? I'm not. Yeah, so I'm I never think, at so that I point. I loved. I loved the Super Wild Card Weekend, whatever they called it. Yeah, the six games. The six games. That was great. And I sat in front of the TV for Kev like twelve hours, two days in a row. <laughs> right. I mean, that's a lot of TV time, buddy. And it's. Had there not been internet and scores and everything, you could have recorded them. If there wasn't internet and scores, you wouldn't have a DVR. Uh, I could have watched them faster. It would have been a little bit easier. You don't like to go back and no, I don't mind or watch them. I, in- I don't mind that. I, I, I you know what? Though you just said something, and it's really interesting because you've lived the life of a professional athlete. Like you've been the person on the other side that most of us have watched, and you didn't watch a lot of games when you were playing, and you didn't grow up watching a lot yeah, of did. games. You've told me before it wasn't like you were a massive fan. You weren't yes, sitting there for hours growing upon up. hours. Oh, growing, growing up. up, okay, but not as a player. No, I I don't know any players that were. Right. So, you know, you said that's a long time to be in front of a TV. It is, you know, and I can't tell you how many times, you know, growing up, uh, you get, you know, turn the TV off. You got to go out and do something. You got to, and, and TV was such a passive activity and it was thought to be not very healthy. But when it comes to watching sports, do you know how many of us, me and many of the people that are listening have spent so many Sundays basically in front of the television for close to 12 hours consecutively without moving much. I'm not faulting it. Well, it probably should be faulted. It's not not that healthy. Uh, 
Hey, babe, I'm hungry. <laughs> Give me some nachos. Where's the meatloaf? <clears throat> um, uh, it, it's not. What I can do the Sunday, but the soul, the Saturday and Sunday is a long two days. <laughs> it well, was for me. Well, it's also tough for you because you have young kids, and I remember when my kids no, were young. No, no, no. I got. I pulled it off. I know you pulled it off, but I can tell you that when my kids were young, there were plenty of Saturdays and Sundays that. You know, first of all, it just wouldn't have been healthy for my marriage if I essentially said, <laughs> I'm parking it on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, too bad. This is what I want to do. Um, and, you know, it's not really what I wanted to do either when the kids were young. I wanted to do things with the kids, and especially when they got involved in sports and different and other activities, and the weekends had a lot of that stuff. So I remember being totally fine with recording, you know, a skins game as an example. Like before I got into this business, I remember when my oldest was super young, I missed a lot of games live, a lot of games live because he had, you know, something going on during the game. And then I would just come home and I would, you know, I'd have the DVR, the VHS. It wasn't, it it was, it was after VHS. (laughs) Um, but you know, I'd, I'd pop in, you know, I'd, I'd have DVR and I, but coolly, I told you the Thanksgiving day matchup, we did not watch the most of the first half. It was great watching the game that way without commercials. I hadn't done that in a long time with, with a, with a skins game, with a Washington game, with a game, with a game of a, of a team that I really wanted, you know, to win and, and, and was rooting for. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a, the DVR part of it was amazing. I actually like the, you know, I had to watch six or seven games, Washington games this year after the game. I know you because I couldn't get it. I tried the 10 different ways to get it on Hulu or wherever it was. In the first couple of weeks, it worked out because it thought my Hulu was still in Washington, D.C. <laughs> I don't know how. <laughs> and then it didn't. So finally, we, I ended up getting DirecTV. I, I bought the NFL ticket, which is great. I love it. I don't know why I didn't buy it to start. I don't either. But watching... I don't like to watch the condensed game. I like to watch the full version if I haven't watched the game. But I'll watch the full version and there's not a commercial or halftime. I I will say this, and I've said this many times to you, I think, in the past, because I really do believe it. I think if you sit there as a fantasy guy or a gambler and you just watch the Red Zone on Sundays or you just watch, you know, um, uh, DirecTV, you know, Siciliano's Red Zone – I think you really do miss the essence of these games. I mean, I, I you could not watch wa- uh, a Washington game on Red Zone Channel just waiting for them to get in the Red Zone and watch that and have any real sense. I still enjoy... Yeah, but you, you can watch four games at once or s- one channel has six games at once. You're talking about on DirecTV. On DirecTV. Yeah, what I'm talking... Not just Red Zone. Oh, yeah, you can't... Red. There's no essence of the day on the no. Red Zone channel. You have, oh, here they are. The Chargers are now in the Red Zone. Well, you know, on that final Sunday um, a few weeks ago, the Dallas Giants game was the Fox game. Remember, Washington and Philadelphia were playing that night. And Dallas and, and the Giants were on in that 1 o'clock Fox window. And I can't even remember what was on CBS. But I remember... I did flip back and forth with the red zone, but I really, you know, even with that game, I stuck with the Fox game and I would turn during the commercials. I, I, 
I think you it's really hard <clears throat> to get a sense of a team or a game without watching the game. And most people don't do that anymore. Most people consume it, you know, via red zone, you know, highlights, etc. Unless you're watching your own team. You know, most people listening to us are watching every single play of the Washington game. Mm-hmm. But I don't mind watching you know, uh, the entire game from, you know, on, on Fox or CBS on a Sunday afternoon with just flipping to the red zone during commercials. Now, there have been some Sundays where I've just kept it on the red zone because the games, I wasn't interested in the games on CBS or Fox. But um, anyway, whatever. I mean, we're, we're consuming these things in a totally different way. And um I just think that Sunday, I, I I prefer more football. To me, this is an anticlimactic weekend. Um, it's the beginning of the end. We've got three games left, and then there will be no football, and that's a big void for for a lot of us. Uh, I, you know, I I love other sports, but I don't love other sports like football season. I love college basketball. I love the NBA playoffs, but nothing is like the rhythm of September through February, which is amazing that we have gotten to this point, given all of the dire predictions of this year. Um, But Sunday's doubleheader matchup, this is as good a championship Sunday matchup as we've seen in a long time. Like I'm uh, last year, Titans, Chiefs, Packers, 49ers. Um, the year before that was Rams, Saints, Patriots, Chiefs. That was pretty good. You know, the, the you had some really good teams, and you had Brady against a young Mahomes. The year before that was Jacksonville, New England, Minnesota, Philadelphia. Uh, this this is a really good. I mean, you I think you you can easily make the case you've got the four best teams. I, I think so. I think you could absolutely make the case. I still think the Saints are a good team. I think the Saints are on par with Green Bay or with uh, Tampa, but Tampa—I mean, Tampa won the game. Saints waxed them earlier in the season, though. Twice. Yeah. Tampa Bay waxed Green Bay earlier in the season. I I know that. We'll we'll get to but these. Twi- beating a team twice. Look, Tampa got better for the last through the last five six weeks, and honestly, Kev, it seems to be. The M.O. of Tom Brady's teams. Experiment, do some things, be good, get better late in the season. At least the last five or six years for Brady. Yeah. And a lot of that's been – some of it's been Belichick and the defense. But by the time you get to the playoffs, you know who you are, you know what you're doing. I mean, to have seen Brady and Breeze and now Brady and Rodgers um, in playoff games in the NFC, which was never possible, and – Obviously, neither they they didn't face off in Super Bowls, even though they were predicted to, to do it many times, um, is pretty cool. And then, you know, you've got two, you know, two of the three best young quarterbacks in the game um, going at it uh, on Sunday in the AFC Championship game. Uh, we'll get to all that. I, I've got two things for you, okay? Before we get to the Martin Mayhew hiring and. Whatever is going to happen with Marty Herney and some other stuff. I do want to um, talk to Cooley about the quarterback uh, thing that 
we talked a little bit more about yesterday, Deshaun Watson <clears throat> um, situation. But here are the two things. First of all, 38 years ago today, Washington beat Dallas in the NFC Championship game at RFK Stadium, Cooley. It is for me, and I've mentioned it many times on the podcast, on the radio show, it is for me the single most unbelievable live sporting event I have ever attended. And I've been to a bunch. You know, I've been to Yankee Stadium for a playoff game. I've been at big fights in Vegas. There's never been a stadium or an arena that was more electric, loud, raucous than that day in RFK Stadium when Washington played Dallas for the NFC Championship game, which for me is my number one all-time Washington memory. Um, football team memory. You know, a, a lot of the guys, Doc and Rigo and Jake and anybody else, you know, J- Joe, all, all the guys that we've had a chance to spend time with over the years that played in that game, they all agree. The Super Bowl was anticlimactic, that the, it was the win over the Cowboys in the NFC title game that was the climax. They went on to win the Super Bowl the following week in Super Bowl Seventeen against the Dolphins, and Rigo was the MVP, and he's got the most famous play in franchise history. But I think the most memorable game in franchise history was that game, and it's just amazing to me that it was 38 years ago. Um, and it just, it was such, I mean, January 22nd, 1983, 38 years ago. I remember when I started to do this, um, you know, this radio gig and broadcasting thing, you know, it was like 18 years ago, roughly somewhere around there. And, um, and I remember with Doc, you know, t- early on talking about, you know, Jan- January 22nd, you know, 20 years ago. And it was only 20 years ago then. And then, you know, it was the whole thing. And not that this is a major anniversary, but a, a lot of you listening, I know that that for you, that was a big memory, sports, all-time sports memory. Um, it, FedEx Field Cooley never, ever, ever got anywhere near what RFK Stadium was, even though it had 90,000 on some days. You played in a couple of the games. I think the game which, you know, was probably your best game of your career. I think that December game against the Cowboys in 2005 was really close. It was crazy how raucous it was that day. Um, and there was a feeling that Joe had turned it around and we were heading back towards the glory days. And so there was a lot of that, um, but still doesn't match the RFK stuff. Yeah, I wish I could have played an RFK. It's crazy to see some of these games right now with so little fans and how loud they sound on TV. FedEx wouldn't sound loud with 10,000 fans in it in a playoff game. It would not. It would not. Well, yeah. It would not sound loud on television, but when you watch Kansas City and Buffalo play, they sound loud on television. <clears throat> yeah. So I, there's got to be something to the state. I mean, there is something to the acoustics of the stadium. No doubt. There is. And, and the truth is, too, like if you had had winning teams in that stadium – there would be a lot more memories and there would be a lot more discussion about what a, you know, what a snake pit it was to enter. 
Um, I mean, I can just tell you that the Dallas players, you know, their memories of their careers back then always included something about the rivalry with Washington and playing in Washington and playing at RFK because they they knew how special it was because their home field at Texas Stadium never equaled what RFK was. RFK was the place, Cooley, for, you know, basically a 30-year period, RFK Stadium was was the most difficult outdoor stadium in the NFL to play in. There were indoor stadiums like the Kingdome in Seattle, which was incredibly loud, and the Seahawks had you know, some good teams back then. But in terms of the outdoor stadiums, nothing, nothing equaled RFK for a long period of time. It was always considered the most difficult place and the, diff- the most difficult road game uh, to play. It, it, it was. Um, Anyway, uh, here's the other thing that I just wanted to mention off the top. Bill Barnwell, who writes, you know, these lengthy War and Peace style um, pieces for ESPN.com, um, which, you know, we've referenced here and there every once in a while. Um, he wrote a, a, another really long story yesterday predicting next year's playoff teams. And I, I thought it was interesting because I've sort of alluded to this to a certain degree um, about how, you know, I'm glad they got to the playoffs this year. I'm glad they got to experience it because it's never a given. And you and I even talked about earlier this week, and I know I mentioned it with Tommy, that if you come back with Kyle Allen and Taylor Heineke and Alex Smith or some combination of those three, um, you might not even be the division favorite, you know, because if Dallas re-signs Dak Prescott, I think at the very least Dallas and Washington would be co-favorites entering the season. And so Barnwell put together, you know, predicting the 2021 NFL playoff bracket. In the AFC, he's got Kansas City as a one seed again. He's got Baltimore as a two. He's got Miami as a three seed. Then he's got Jacksonville as a four seed. Um, and then Buffalo 5, Pittsburgh 6, New England 7. I'm not going to go into all the reasons why. Then you get to the NFC. He's got Tampa as a one seed next year, Green Bay as a two, and then Dallas as the three seed. He's got them winning the NFC East and not even being the worst division winner, but being the three seed, which I could see the Cowboys being a much better team with Prescott playing 16 games. He's got the Niners winning the Western, uh, the NFC West. Then he's got Seattle, Atlanta, and the Rams as playoff teams. The three teams that just missed the playoffs are New Orleans, Chicago, and Washington. And... I, I bring this up because I think that there is this feeling that after seven and nine and a playoff um, uh, game and a playoff game in which they were close, that next year is just going to be, all right, next year is the 11 win or the 10 or, or 11 win year and playoffs again. But there's no guarantee of that. And then you get to the schedule where they play in addition to their division foes. The following quarterbacks, they play Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Tom Brady, Matt Ryan in the NFC, Patrick Mahomes, and Josh Allen in the AFC. Now, maybe those guys won't be there. Maybe they'll be hurt, and those teams will stink. Those things happen. But they essentially play six of the top seven quarterbacks in the NFL next year. Six of the top seven or top eight. 
I didn't even mention Justin Herbert, who they'll face in year two. The four teams playing this weekend, Washington faces all four of them on the schedule next year. They face Green Bay, they face Tampa Bay, they face Kansas City, and they'll face Buffalo. Buffalo, by the way, is if there's a 17th game, which almost everybody agrees there will be a 17-game regular season. Yeah, so they don't just face Buffalo as of today. As of right today, they don't face Buffalo, but almost everybody agrees so that over the next that, couple of months. Is that slotted out that the <clears throat> yes, NFC East plays team. the AFC East and the you know your mm-hmm. your comparable position. Washington finished first, Buffalo finished first. If all of those quarterbacks are upright and healthy, I don't know that any teams ever had to face a lineup of quarterback teams I'm like sure that. I'm uh, sure they have. Really? I'm sure they have from both conferences. Yeah, we could we could find the schedule. We're not going to do that right now, but we could find a tough schedule. I bet you can't. I, I, I'm yeah. giving you a project. I bet you can't find a schedule. First of all, you'll be looking at 16-game schedules instead of 17. But I bet you can't find a schedule where a team is going to face pretty much without debate. I mean, Deshaun Watson's in the conversation, obviously. Lamar Jackson, I guess, is. But two of the top three quarterbacks in the AFC, the best quarterback in the game in Mahomes, Josh Allen, certainly one of the top two or three. And then in the NFC, you're going to face the best quarterback in Aaron Rodgers, the second best quarterback in Russell Wilson, um, and you're going to face the greatest of all time in, in Tom Brady. I didn't even mention Dak Prescott twice well, or Justin Herbert. Very true. And we're Matt Ryan. They face Matt Ryan also. You did mention Matt Ryan. Um, and you may face those guys and you may not. Right. You didn't face Dak Prescott twice this year. No, you didn't. Didn't even face him once. Right. So you faced Aaron Rodgers a couple years ago when he couldn't even walk. True. So there's context to that whole situation. But to your point, it doesn't. It's not going to make it easy. (laughs) No. And there's there's still good teams in the NFC. Yeah. I mean, you you look around the NFC, and the the interesting one is Atlanta. Why is that interesting? Because they were a, so good offensively this year and so close. They are they are so good offensively, but it's a new head coach, right. Arthur Smith, who I love. Right. But it's interesting to think Atlanta in a new head coach year would be in there for sure. I guess they're a wild card team. They hired um they hired the the guy that was in Baltimore before Martindale, the uh defensive coordinator, um Dean uh Peace. Yeah, Dean Pease. They hired him to be the defensive coordinator because he retired, right, in Baltimore. He's older. Anyway. <clears throat> yeah, all of those things are true. Where, God, where did Atlanta finish in points scored this year? It had to be way up there, right? Yeah. Oh, uh, no, it actually it, wasn't. It actually well, wasn't. where did they finish in total offense? <clears throat> um, Total offense this year, it was... I mean, they lost so many ridiculously close games with big leads. Um, they finished uh, actually back half of the league in, in in yards, in total yards. Same with points. It's because their defense was, you know, they couldn't. Their defense couldn't get off the field. Their defense was terrible. Yeah. Their defense was fourth worst in the NFL. Anyway, uh, I. 
I love the. I, I usually make fun of the next year predictions, um, which I will when we get to uh, you know July and August, and they're all out there because nobody really knows anything. But I I would bet you it'd be very difficult to find a team's uh, schedule that next year that included essentially six to seven of the best eight or nine quarterbacks in the NFL. <laughs> I mean, it's really not even debatable. Like, who's missing from the list of great quarterbacks that they'll be facing? I mean, Kyler Murray? No. Um, We don't know who the New Orleans quarterback's going to be. I guess uh, Kirk Cousins. (laughs) Um, uh, Seriously, though, who? nobody's – Deshaun Watson is the only one missing. It's the only Uh, quarterback they're not – and Lamar Jackson. And Lamar Jackson. Would be one that and, you would, and I guess Roethlisberger, but you know he's not in that category anymore based on this past year. You're not going to face Stafford. Hopefully, you'll Who's... have Stafford playing for you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a problem with Stafford playing for you. Yeah, you're. Uh, you got them all. You got them all. We, you pretty much got them all. So the defense, which was a good defense this year, not a great defense. Good defense. Um, it's going to have to really take another big step forward because it's going to have some challenges. The offense can always help it. They better go get the quarterback this year. All right, let's talk um, about Martin Mayhew, Marty Herney, some of the changes to the organization when we come back. Then we will get to the two games on Sunday right after this word from one of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So Washington made it official early this morning. Uh, they hired Martin Mayhew to be the team's new general manager. Um, we talked about Mayhew a little bit yesterday and the day before. Mayhew played here for four years, was a part of the 91 Super Bowl team opposite Daryl Green, was a good player, really good player, um, was the general manager in Detroit, as we've talked about in, in on shows here the last couple days from 2008 to 2015. I had Dan Miller on the radio show this morning. Dan is the voice of the Lions uh, radio network, also um, uh, the sports director at the Fox affiliate there. Dan used to work at 980, um, was Doc's partner for many years. He's a great guy. He loves Martin Mayhew. Everybody that I've talked to says that Martin Mayhew is smart and really a 
good guy and easy to work with. He has been rumored to have been, you know, a candidate or have he's been interviewed to be uh, a general manager um, since he lost the Detroit job in 2015, um, you know, a couple of times. But he's been uh, in San Francisco recently, um, last year, as the vice president of player personnel. The team made it very clear, Cooley, that – Um, Mayhew's going to report directly to head coach Ron Rivera. And as we've talked about, this is an organization um, that is coach-centric. It is like Seattle with Pete Carroll, where John Schneider reports to him. It's like Kansas City, where Andy Reid, where Brett Veach reports to him. Um, It's the same situation, whomever the GM's been in New England. That's what Washington is. Ron Rivera is the head of the football operation. He is the guy, and everybody's going to report to him. Now, for those of you that are surprised that Mayhew got the GM title, there's a little bit of context there. Uh, 49ers may not have wanted him to leave, um, and for him to leave without Washington potentially having to give up some compensation, uh, they had to elevate his title to GM. Uh, How Marty Herney comes into the organization, and apparently that announcement will be fairly soon. Uh, My guess is, Cooley, that basically the organizational chart is going to look like this. Dan Snyder's at the top. There's a branch down on the business side that says Jason Wright, team president. There's another branch that says head coach. Uh, Ron Rivera, and then under Rivera, you've got Marty Herney, you've got Martin Mayhew, and you've got Rob Rob Rogers, who is the senior VP of football administration, sort of the Eric Schaefer equivalent. And I don't know if Mayhew's going to report to Herney or Herney's going to report to Mayhew, but they're all going to report to Ron Rivera. So that's what the organization's going to look like. We can talk more about Herney's title if it really is something that everybody wants to talk about when we find out what it is. I'm not going to speculate. I think he's going to be and play a significant role. He and, and Ron Rivera are obviously tight. Um, Mayhew um, comes into an, uh, into the organization as a non-Carolina guy, so um, a little bit of a change there. Um, Washington's diversity in their organization um, is incredible when you think about the the hires of Jason Wright and Ron Rivera and now Martin Mayhew and Julie Donaldson into a significant position. And they just elevated Jennifer King, the intern, um, during the course of the year to a full-time offensive uh, coach on the staff, first black female to become uh, a full-time coach on an NFL team. Uh, I said coolly the following on Twitter and this morning on radio. All of these moves, they're fine with me. I'm really unmoved, like in terms of being thrilled or angered. I've kind of come to the conclusion that I'm happy that Ron's able to make these decisions, and I think the decisions he's made are okay. But the bottom line is this. This franchise is only going to gain steam and end up winning more than it loses if two things happen. One, the owner stays away from the football decision-making side. And two, they get a quarterback. If you don't get those two things to happen, all of these hires don't really mean anything. If Ron really isn't in charge, if Ron and his football people really can't make the, the big decisions on, say, a quarterback or on a free agent, then we're doomed. 
And I would just say that if they don't find their quarterback after 30-something years of looking for one, then you're probably just going to flounder, hopefully in the you know 8-8 eight and eight range with an occasional playoff season here and there with a good defense. But it's not going to be a massive you know, uh, increase in success. Keep the owner away, get a quarterback, and all will be well. Your reaction to these hires is what? I feel the same as you. I'm not really excited about it. I'm not down on it. I do think that the way they've set it up is the way I would set it up if I was an owner. It would go me, owner, head coach, Ron, GM, and everybody else who works for head coach. There would never be a conversation with my scouting department and my head coach on why we want a guy or why we don't want a guy. The veto power would always go to the president, who is the head coach, who knows the pulse of the team, who knows the coaching staff, who knows the systems, who know exactly what they want. I would then, as the president of the team slash head coach, coach my scouting department, GM, so on and so forth, on our systems and on our offense and how we operate and the type of players we're looking for. And I I mean that more so in terms of who fits this system and this scheme. Do we want, as a receiver, a speed cut guy, a roll cut guy? Do we want a double stick guy? Do we need a slot guy who's got, you know what I'm saying, Kev? I want my scouting staff to understand our offensive and defensive systems. And I don't think they need to talk it like a coach, but they should know it. You've always said that. And you've always said that that's been a a big disconnect in the organization. It's been a huge disconnect in so many organizations because when you start watching all this film on all these dudes, you can get real excited about certain guys. But certain guys aren't going to work for you. You're a zone run offense, and you got a big, slow-footed offensive lineman who can pass protect his butt off. He can't can't operate in the zone run scheme because he can't move fast enough laterally. Then you can't run the ball. So it's got to all work. And my feel of it being around it as long as I have is that the coach knows what's going to work best. They do. Not to say that those scouts and – GMs don't know who out there can play. They they can recognize good players, but they got to recognize good players and good player fits in your offense. And in so much, you know, let's start with that quarterback. How does said quarterback that they want to bring in feel about Ron Rivera, feel about Scott Turner, feel about that offensive system? What systems has he been in to give you an idea that it would be an immediate fit? That's best for Ron to decide. And so, what was the biggest whiff on that? What was the biggest whiff on that in recent years in terms of the player brought in and/or drafted was just not a good fit for the way the coaches coach the offense and the defense. Donovan McNabb, okay, Mike Shanahan, right, was maybe the biggest whiff. Okay just go out and get a guy who we know is a good player. And even at that, when he was 
signed, I was excited as a player on that team. Right. Man, we got Donovan McNabb. Well, it wasn't a great fit from the Shanahan offense. That was a big whiff for sure. What about Josh Norman? Josh Norman. <laughs> yeah, I think so. But I, I, at the same time, I don't think that they knew what they were on defense for those few years. That's fair. You know, you're a play basic defense, crack skulls, and take name plates. (laughs) And then three years later, you're a 52 schemes a game type of defense. Right. I don't think that that side of that staff understood what they were on defense. It It was always evolving to something new and different. It wasn't this, we're going to play simple physical football what about alex yeah i don't know if alex was the jay gruden guy how about the the one that they let get away that was a perfect fit cousins was a perfect fit for what they were doing offensively for that scheme to some extent but i think it was more of a perfect fit for that scheme and sean I don't think that. Oh, uh, right, true, right. Kirk and Jay were a perfect fit. That, that's fair. I think. Once, I don't think that I, was the right marriage. I think once Sean left, that that was, you know, he, they didn't need a nail in the coffin. Um, but that's when Kirk, I think, decided, yeah, I can't come back. They don't want me anyway, so why would I come back? I got to find a better fit. And of course, he's been through multiple coordinators. Um, um Jason Campbell and Al Saunders. <laughs> right, but. They fit Al Saunders to Jason Campbell. Albert Hainsworth. To anyone? Yeah. <laughs> that was a that was a I mean, here, you know this guy is gonna throw you three pitches all high. All fastballs. They're gonna be out of the strike zone. Don't swing at them. Yeah, but I love that high fastball. If I hit it right, I can knock <laughs> it out of the park. Like, no, no. He's He's going to do it. You know what he's going to do. You know who he is. I'll give you the I'll give you the worst one right now. Adam Archuleta. That that was um, it, it, you mean no I mean, that was the defensive coordinator didn't want him. Did not want him. And you had a guy in Ryan Clark that was a, a third of the cost and was a good player in getting better. That was the that was, that was a bad one, and to that point, you know what Greg Williams does. He's done it. He plays cover two, and a lot of it. So do you want a box safety? Right. Who's essentially a linebacker? And Vinny and Dan had no clue. And The other thing that's wild is these players make these decisions, too. I mean, that that whole situation... Vinny, by the way, says that that was a big mistake of his. He's admitted that before and said that it wasn't necessarily his call. I'm pretty sure, if I remember one of my conversations with him about that, the owner, for whatever, w- was enamored with Adam Archuleta. Remember, he was coming off, a, you know, he, he was coming off some big years with the Rams. He was a big name there for a few years. And right? that whole situation, he was. That whole situation, as much as we talk about this, they're not fair to the player either. Right. But he couldn't turn down the money. They made him the highest paid safety at that point when he signed, like, in the game. 
He signed. Sure. I remember it was like a seven, six-year, thirty-five million dollar deal, and it it was like one of the biggest safe, uh, contracts ever given to a safety. Here it is. Uh, I, I just pulled and, it up. Redskins and, 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 made him and, and, the highest-paid safety up to that point in NFL history. Six years, thirty million bucks, ten million guaranteed. What a disaster that was! And looking back at it, I, I don't even fault Greg for not changing his system. It never fit. They probably should have thought more about using him somewhere else once they had him. Wide receiver. (laughs) (laughs) A personal protector on the punt team. No, they probably shot, you know, that was before the Dale Buchanan experiment in Arizona where he became one of the first guys to really be a undersized guy that played inside. But they probably should have played him underneath as a zone defender underneath. They could have played him more, but then they just there became this whole rift with Arch and that defensive staff, and that was a big one. Yeah, those are the types of misses you have when the coach doesn't pick the player. Williams would have never taken Archuleta. Never. Greg Blosh would have never taken Hainsworth. Right. He didn't want him. I. It's um. Look, it can work the other way as long as the GM understands what it is the coach wants. It's obviously worked that way. You know, it's it's interesting. I I think I'm not sure if I agree with you or not because I think it works both ways. But I think in this particular it can situ- it can it just it, it's more likely to work if the coach picks his players. But that means you got to pick the right coach. Right, you've got to pick the right coach. I mean, I, I somebody um, sent me a tweet said, you know, you have overestimated um, uh, Rivera when you've re- referred to him as an elite coach. I'll, actually, I'm going to read it um, verbatim because I'm um, uh, you. You have an impression of Ron as an elite coach. He's not. He's an elite person, but his history is lackluster. So, with all the talented minds in the NFL, you need to understand why fans have a huge problem with Carolina 2.0. And I and I definitely ha- have this sense that the majority of people that listen to the podcast or the radio show that are Washington fans are not real happy about Marty Herney or Martin Mayhew um, because they view them to be retreads to a certain degree. Um, First of all, I've never referred to Ron as an elite coach, nor do I have the impression of him being an elite coach. I do think he he has proven that he has an understanding of the culture that he inherited and he's got a plan to fix it. And so far, so good with me in terms of even the whole Carolina, you know, caravan to Washington. You know, a lot of those people have worked out. You know, it's on the football side. I mean, we've gone through the list. I think Scott Turner was pretty good. John Matsko, you know, uh, Pete Hayner, the tight ends coach, Sam Mills. There have been some really, you know, Rob Rogers is, is doing a nice job as far as we know. I don't have a problem with any of that. I want him to bring people in that he's comfortable with and that he knows and that he thinks is competent because you need competence in this organization. It's been too long without it. Bottom line is all these moves, I'll just net it out again. I get a quarterback and keep the owner away, and we've got a chance. Whether it's you know Herney, Mayhew, or anybody else that you would have brought in. That is in this organization – has always been the most important thing and the most elusive thing. And it sounds like you agree with me. There also, I do. I Whether or not I 
I would fit in the culture of Carolina 2.0 is another situation. Probably I fit in a lot of places, but I'm not there. Right. This is how I would do it. This is what I've said all along for a lot of these coaches. You know, I've looked back at the Shanahan stuff and said, just bench RG3. Get fired over it. Right. And to me, it seems like Ron at least will he'll do what he wants to do or he's going to get fired because of it. He's got he's got to. You know, you just you have to. You have to be in this organization. No, I'm not doing that. No, you can't have a say in that. Now, I think what Ron's good at is what, you know, probably Gibbs told him to be good at, which is make Dan feel like he is coming up with some of these ideas and is a contributor. But you cannot defer to him. You cannot let him trample you in a decision. You have to be willing to quit and walk away. Now, as we've said many times in the past, that's something that you need to build into your contract, period. That, you know, if you step over this line, I walk and you pay me because it, it I, I'm not going to be in that situation of needing to – to, to get my money to allow you to ruin it. So anyway, um, I agree. you know, they did, they are moving on from what I think is real confidence because Kyle Smith's leaving. Are you breaking news on that? No, I'm reading it. You're reading it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, this is on fan nation. What Washington, what's Washington's exit plan for Kyle Smith. Oh, here's the announcement. He's, By the way, the, the, uh, the Marty Herney announcement just came through, just came through. Marty Herney is the executive vice president of football and player personnel. Um, that's, that's what Kyle Smith is. Yeah. So Kyle, yeah. I mean, the obvious guess here for a while has been that Kyle Smith is on his way out. Um, he wasn't even interviewed, and this guy, Eric Stokes, was. Um, where do you think, real quickly, before we get to the Herney announcement, I'll read some of the quotes here from uh, Rivera. Uh, because it just broke as we're sitting here um, recording the podcast. Where do you think Kyle will land? Do you have any guess? I have no guess okay. at this point. I mean, Kyle I don't think he knows. Kyle I don't likes think he him knows, a lot. I don't think he knows where he'll land. Kyle Smith's one of those guys that is going to do what he is supposed to do. And so under contract, he's not going to reach out to other teams. Not going to be writing letters. He's not going to be making contact. He hasn't been involved in the media. He hasn't been a leak. He hasn't. Right. All he does is go and grind. So I think uh, my bet would be that Kyle didn't know anything about these hirings until they happened. Is probably disappointed that he didn't know anything about these hirings before they happened, but is also probably not surprised. So he'll land somewhere quick. I'm not sure if it'll be as high as he was, but he'll be in charge of a college personnel or or an NFL personnel somewhere. Like he'll be the head college or the head NFL guy somewhere next year he's good he's really really good Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay both like him right yeah he he'll go he'll have no problem going to either of those places he'll go he'll be somewhere in a week it would be my bet and I'm sure he'll be happy to be somewhere in a week because if he wasn't even getting interviewed like I'm reading right now that there was no no rift no particular conflict, sources say, be, between Smith and the, and Rivera. Normal friction. Um, no, I bet that's probably not the case. 
<laughs> you don't have no particular. Now, maybe there's no particular. Here's what I here's what I see no particular conflict as. Ron wanted nothing to do with anyone that shook hands with Bruce Allen in that building. They're all gone. Not all of them. There's a couple guys still in there, but anyone of importance is gone that walked into Bruce's office. That was the conflict. Bruce Allen culture. See ya. Not even going to entertain it. Um, did that's clearly what he did. Did Ron never cross paths with AJ Smith in San Diego? I don't know that. He had to. He was there as the D coordinator when but AJ that Smith. That doesn't mean that he and AJ Smith were talking often. But they knew each other. They were in the same building for for a few years. I, I think they had to be. AJ Smith was the was the was the GM when Marty was there, when Norv was there, and that's and Rivera was in San Diego during some of those years. Uh, but I hear what you're saying. By the way. If the relationship was great, Kyle Smith would still be here, period. He's talented. And so the relationship obviously wasn't a good fit, which, by the way, the new group always, they've got the right to pick the people they feel comfortable around. And I bet you that Ron Rivera would say about Kyle Smith, he's talented. He he does a really good job. I, but, you know, I'm looking for people that I, I just – Are com- my guys. Are my guys. And Mayhew isn't necessarily his guy. But, you know, Duggan – But he's been hired to be his guy. Yeah, he's been hired to be his guy. I bet you Snyder really loved Mayhew. And I bet you Doug Williams, who hasn't had much influence, I understand that. You know, it's you know, the, the title sometimes has been beyond the true influence. Um, but they were teammates, and I know that Martin Mayhew's been talked up by Doug in the past um, as being a part of this thing. Here are the quotes on the Herney um, uh, hiring, uh, which just happened moments ago. Um, hold on for a second. I had it. Uh, so the Washington football team announced today they have named Marty Herney executive vice president of football player personnel. Herney will report directly to head coach Ron Rivera. So the two hires today, both in the first uh, two lines of the press release, they make it very clear that the, both of those people will be reporting to Ron Rivera. Um, here are the quotes from Rivera. Quote, Marty Herney is an excellent evaluator of talent and someone whom I trust and worked with in the past. He knows the amount of hard work it takes to operate a successful personnel department. Marty has a proven track record as a, as a successful scout and general manager and will be a vital part of shaping our roster. Both myself and Mr. Snyder agreed that he would bring an enormous amount of experience to our operation. It is also fitting that Marty started his career here working for the legendary Bobby Bethard. I look forward to collaborating with both Marty and Martin in the years to come. So there you go. Jeez, I know this is so nitpicky and 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 you know, but I just I hate when we have our coaches include Mr. Snyder and refer to him as Mr. Snyder. I, first of all, if this is part of making Mr. Snyder, Snyder feel like he was a big part of it, fine. But why not just both myself and Dan agreed he would bring an enormous amount of experience to our operation. Whatever. Uh, that's it on that. I just – I can't imagine, Cooley, seriously, if I were the owner 
and somebody older than me referred to me as Mr. Sheehan, I would absolutely just stop them and say, hey, Ron, I'm Kevin, man. I'm Kevin. You're older than me. (laughs) Okay? And by the way, even if you weren't older than me, I'm still Kevin. You know, I I hired you because I really like you. And, you know, I'm the owner and you're the coach, but we're, we're, we're adult enough to recognize the differences without having to put a mister before my last name. Honestly, at this point, <laughs> what if I were the PR director or if I were close enough, I would say to Dan, it's going to be best that they start calling you Dan from now on. That might be the last thing that that PR person says. <laughs> you got to do. You got to do the things you believe in. Uh, yeah. Well. Um, yeah. Look. I mean, whatever. whatever. Neither of these guys have a great draft history. No. They. These are. Su- uh, look. Uh, we went these through are Jags. These are subpar resumes. Now, Dan Miller on Martin Mayhew's. Uh, you know. Um, on Martin Mayhew's resume, which, by the way, basically his teams went 41-63. and 63. <laughs> Okay, Herney's teams were sub-500 as well. Herney did, was the acting GM for a team that went to the Super Bowl. And then basically the 15-1 and one team in 2015, as I've mentioned before, um, Dave Gettleman was the acting GM. But really the foundation of that team was laid by Marty Herney and Ron Rivera and the others that were in the organization at the time. Cooley, I learned this the other day, and I don't think I've shared this with you, but um, Herney, um, in 2012, Rivera's second year, they started one and five, and Jerry Richardson wanted to fire Rivera. And Herney, according to uh, David Newton, who is the beat reporter there for ESPN and has been, uh, you know, the Panthers guy for years, said that basically uh, Herney said to Richardson, no. You've got the right guy as the head coach. We have the right guy. This thing is headed in the right direction. If you really feel like you've got to fire somebody, fire me. And he fell on his sword for for Rivera in 2012, and that's when he was fired. Um, so, yeah, neither one of these resumes is, is sterling. Uh, I think that's what's frustrated many of you. I think many of you also, as I've said before, think that Kyle Smith leaving the building means that Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan or Matt LaFleur is leaving the building. Who knows? Might prove to be true. Um, but, uh, but Mayhew, the thing that Dan Miller told me this morning about Mayhew is how well-respected, well-liked, and how smart he was and how there was a lot of bad luck. Um, first of all, they had two excellent seasons while he was the GM. You know, part of that 0-16, that 0-16 team that he inherited, right, was his first year as GM. So that's that's – in one season, sixteen games under five, you know, eight games under five hundred, but but zero and sixteen. So you've got to really, you know, um, you got to really uh, uh, overcome a lot to end up with a winning record. But you know, Miller said there were some key injuries during the course of the year, and he said that two thousand fourteen Lions team was good. It was a good team defensively. They were good offensively. That was the team Cooley that lost to the Cowboys in the wild card round on two horrific calls. Um, the, the one, uh, that was the worst was Detroit's up their leading midway through the fourth quarter on the way to a two score lead. And it was either Pettigrew or Ebron got interfered with. They threw the flag on third down and then they picked it up and it was a terrible pickup of a flag because it was obviously PI. Um, and they ended up losing that game. Uh, by the way, also, uh, Miller did say he thinks there is a chance that Stafford 
could get dealt by this new staff, Dan Campbell and company in Detroit. And Boomer Esiason, apparently, according to Burgundy Blog, or a good friend Burgundy Blog, um, Boomer Esiason, I guess, this morning said on his radio show um, that he's heard Stafford wants out, and he said, I know Mayhew has that number. You know, Martin Mayhew drafted Matt Stafford. God, that would be perfect for me. I would really be excited about next year's team if Matt Stafford were the starting quarterback. They have a chance with Matt Stafford. I'd be excited for you. You've been really gung-ho about this, so I'd, I'd be more excited for you than I would Washington. I don't want you excited for me. I want I'm you to kidding. tell me. I want you to tell me what you think if if they were able to acquire Matt Stafford for say a first and a fourth. I've told you what I think about this multiple times. It's going to depend on how they structure that contact contract and what they're going to end up doing with some of the other contracts mm-hmm. here in the next couple of years. I you have to have your guy. How long is Matt Stafford going to be your guy? Four more? Five more? Five more. You, you, you restructure his deal. You well, I know it. you restructure it to a five-year deal, but is he for sure going to be your guy for five years? You're getting back into the Alex Smith situation. Uh, I mean, In I terms sur- of exactly what you're giving away and exactly what you're paying, you're probably going to give away a little bit more for Matt Stafford than you gave away for Alex. Right. He's going to be my, my quarterback at age 33, 34, 35. Definitely. Now, and- that said... Getting a quarter, giving a first for a quarterback is they can afford it in the in the trade department because guys that you would draft in the first round, you have a lot of these guys on your team. Yeah, drafting rush defensive ends in the first round, you're drafting a quarterback in the first round. You you have a good offensive line. I mean, you could take a, a left tackle somewhere in the first round this year. Is a guy that I would potentially take in the first round, but for the most part, it's not going to kill you to not have a first-round draft pick. i got to be honest with you. I just don't think that Detroit's going to trade Stafford. I don't either. And I don't think Houston's going to trade Deshaun Watson. I actually think in terms of the quarterbacks out there that are property of a team where you'd have to trade for that player, I think the best opportunity, more likely than not, will be Sam Darnold. Yeah, it depends on – look, a lot of stuff's going to happen here. It depends on what happens with Watson. You know, Denver offered up a a deal for Watson. What are you talking about? I, I think I saw somewhere that Denver offered a trade for Watson. I, I I haven't seen that. I mean, you can't offer deals right now. I mean, you can talk – they can they can agree to on a deal. Here it is. You're right. Broncos insider – oh, no, that's just somebody proposing – it's like a sports talk uh, segment, dude. Come on. Is it? Yeah. It's the one I did the other day, and I didn't do it with you. Three firsts, a second, Montez Sweat for Deshaun Watson. Yes or no? Th- no. Really? Oh, God, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Three firsts. Yeah. Montez, a second, Montez a Sweat. A second. Yeah. It's going to take three firsts plus to get him, period. It's what everybody has said. I'm not a huge fan of giving up three firsts and a second. I'm not either, but I would. And then then acquiring that much money when three firsts and a second are going to give you five years of three firsts under contract for not that much money on your cap and a good second. Right. And will any any of them be a franchise quarterback, elite franchise quarterback? Who, Who knows? 
well, exactly who knows. But what I can tell you is if you give up those picks in player, you're going to have one. I also can tell you that more likely than not, those three firsts in the second aren't going to turn into a franchise quarterback. You're you're also, when you think about it, you're also going to have one that wants some control of your team or is going to get upset about it. You know what? That's a fair point. I brought that up yesterday. I, and I had um, Jeremy Fowler, who wrote this really good story on Deshaun Watson, which I talked about on the show yesterday. You should go read it because it, there's a lot going on there. Um, but basically, you know, he said that some, you know, NFL executives on the condition of anonymity said, you know, his behavior isn't is absolutely going to be taken into consideration. And when I say behavior, I'm not implying that it's bad, but him essentially six months after signing the second lar- largest deal in the history of the of the game behind the Mahomes deal, demanding and trying to force his way out is not something that teams are just going to ignore. They're going to say he did it to them. He could do it to us at some point. Exactly. So, well, you can side him and say, we want this guy to help us acquire players. If that's the culture you want, he's going to want to be part of that. I don't think it's going to happen. But I would I would give up whatever it took to get him. Um, you know, uh, let me ask you this. Is it because you don't think of Deshaun Watson in the same way that you think of – Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers or Josh Allen. Like Mahomes, I don't know, Mahomes and Rodgers maybe seem to be a different category, slightly higher category. I mean, do you think of Deshaun Watson in the way you think of Josh Allen? Would you would you do this for Josh Allen? Would you do the three firsts, Montez Sweat, and a second rounder for Josh Allen? You're you're talking to somebody who thinks they know how to find players. <laughs> like every GM. Yeah, I know. Like I like I didn't know on Josh Allen when he came out. You did know. You absolutely knew. You called it. He's better than when he came out, though. I mean, he's he's. Well, I know that, but you said he was going to be really, really good. No, I think Deshaun Watson's really, really good. But I also think that the – I just don't like giving up three firsts. They may. What do you think about Darnold? Uh, here's the nice thing about Allen versus trading up to get RG3 – or excuse me. The nice thing about Watson is you at least have a massive body of work of what he is in the NFL. And exactly. Of course. That's the point. I understand the point. <laughs> I'm not trading for uh, Justin Fields. I'm not trading up for Justin Fields. I'm not even trading up for Trevor Lawrence. I mean, even if you are absolutely convinced that Lawrence is the next, you know, Andrew Luck or better. I mean, it's – it's um. It's a given. He's a top five to six quarterback in the game. He's an elite quarterback, and he's twenty five. So would you? You would do it? Oh, in a, I wouldn't even think twice. I've already said that the, the my, my biggest, what I'd hate to have to do, and I wouldn't want to do it. I wouldn't want to give up Deron Payne, Montez Sweat, um, Chase Young. You know, uh, I just or, or Terry McLaurin. Like those four would be on my untouchable list. But I think if I really got pushed to the point where I had to give up any one of the four as part of the deal, I think I would. It's the quarterback position. The one that would be so painful would be Chase Young because I absolutely envision him within three years being the top player or one of the top two or three players at his position. Well, it wouldn't be three firsts if it were Chase Young. 
Um, you could because be right. You could you be right about that. These, when you look at a lot of these guys, like the, look at the Jalen Ramsey trade, they give up two firsts for Ramsey, two firsts for Tunsil in, in Houston, two firsts for Ram uh, for for uh, Adams. You know, two firsts for Adams. This so is, this Chase is a Young's quarterback. got a value of at least two firsts right now. Mm-hmm. So it would be that would be two firsts. So you'd give up another first and a second or something. No. You'd you'd be two give, more firsts. You'd giving up. You'd be giving up two firsts. And... So, you, so here's what it really is. It's it's essentially the value of four first round draft picks. Now, if you were to give up two more firsts and take Deshaun Watson with your defense, and you're saying at least we're, we should be giving up. I think you're right tw- about late late firsts. At least we should be giving up late firsts with Deshaun Watson. That's why Washington isn't going to have much of a chance because the draft capital that it has isn't enough. The Jets and the Dolphins have high first-round picks, and second picks in the first round. They can go out and they can get one of the three quarterbacks in the first round this year. And or they could take one of those quarterbacks also back, Darnold and or you know, Tungavailoa. Sure. Um, by the way, one last thing before we take another break. Now Houston did have a terrible defense last year. They I'm, could use a guy like Chase Young. Two more things, actually. One, I wanted to um, – I, I just mentioned Burgundy blog um, moments ago because he tweeted this thing out about Boomer Esiason, and it just reminded me. You know, when I compared Taylor Heineke right after the game to Jeff Garcia, um, Burgundy blog reached out to me. Uh, most of you know who – I think a lot of you know who Burgundy blog is. You should follow him on Twitter. He's a good follow on Twitter. Um, where is it? Shit. Uh, he sent me, he goes, did you know that Taylor Heineke, um, was mentored by Jeff Garcia? I go, I had no idea. I didn't, I swear on my children. I had no idea. And he sent me this thing, um, from a story about how Heineke spent three days in San Diego, picking the brain and working out with Jeff Garcia. And he said, quote, the cool thing about Garcia, he's been through it all, Heineke said. He's only a 6'1 guy. He's undersized. He went through it all. And I feel like I'm kind of in the same situation he was in. Um, so even Heineke thinks that his comp is Jeff Garcia. Garcia. <laughs> yeah. Also, um, yesterday, Dwayne Haskins signed a one-year deal with the Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Steelers. Saw that. I think that's, the, uh, that's a perfect place for him to go. Perfect. If he if he's gonna make it, put put it this way, he's not gonna, no bullshit's gonna be tolerated, and he's either gonna swim or he's gonna sink quickly. And if he sinks, he'll never get a, sh- a shot again. If he's if he's able to to be upright and and he's learned from this first experience, there's gonna be an opportunity there because Ben's you know maybe a year left, and they don't have their their heir apparent to Ben. It's not Mason Rudolph, so. I, I, it's funny though. What, what backup quarterback has Pittsburgh generated? <laughs> yeah. What guy stepped on the field in any of the years that Ben went down and had good, great success for Pittsburgh that you said, "Man, they they're developing quarterbacks there." None. 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 I mean, who was the um who was the longtime Detroit backup um, who filled in for Ben back? Uh, oh, God. He, he was in Detroit forever. Um, I don't know what his name was. What year was it? Uh, Charlie Batch. Charlie Batch. 
Hurley. I just found Gosh, it. That was a long time ago. But he was like a decent backup when Ben got hurt a couple of times. Decent backup. Not great, but he had been a starter elsewhere. I mean, if you go through, like I'm just going back, let's just say four years, 2014, who's the backup there? It Bruce, was Landry Jones Landry. came in. I think they, Brad, Ka- Brad Brad Kowski Kowski. was was one of their guys that was a backup. I, I mean, they... Byron left, which was a backup for him briefly. Um, oh, they drafted Zach Mettenberg, or they acquired Mettenberg. Wow. Was on that team. Oh, the LSU quarterback, yeah. Charlie Batch Josh was a Dobbs. long. Batch was a long time backup for Roethlisberger. He was there for a while. He, he wasn't terrible. I don't. I mean, he started a bunch. Didn't he start a few years in Detroit? I think he did. I think Batch played. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Charlie Batch. Now we got to look up the Charlie Batch career. The Charlie make, Batch history. Just to make sure that it was Detroit that it, that he played. Uh, yeah. Yeah, his first four years were in Detroit. And then he was in Pittsburgh. Wow. I didn't realize this. He was in Pittsburgh for 13 years. Is that no, there were some years he, he took off. He was in Pittsburgh from 2003, not in 04, and didn't play. He was in Pittsburgh. He played essentially one, two, three, four, eight years, five, eight years. Yeah. yeah, but but it was spread out because he missed some years in there over like a th- uh, an 11 year period. All right, that's enough about Charlie Batch. Um, uh, let's get to these we got two games. Let's get to these two championship games. Smell test lock of the week. Right after this word from one of our sponsors. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we will get to the smell test. I've got four plays, Cooley. I'm four games below 500. I've got four plays, but they're not forced. They're not forced at all. They're actually all four against the public plays. So two totals, two sides. I'll get to that. You'll have your lock of the week, which was the Chiefs last week. Um, didn't happen. Um, I was 0-2 last week uh, with uh, the Rams and the Ravens. Um, and we will get to those in a, in a minute. But let's just take a look at both of these games without sort of the betting perspective, just how we would analyze you know, these games. First of all, they're two great games. Let's start with the first one where the weather is going to be cold and maybe even some snow for this game. And I do think actually, even though Brady's played in snow, I do think that these games in super cold weather and, super, and, and if it's actually a, a slick field, I think Aaron Rodgers has that whole thing figured out. I mean, what's the worst weather game you ever played in? Monday night in Baltimore. Super cold, right? It was two degrees and the wind was blowing. It was the only game that I was cold the entire game. (laughs) On the field, in between plays in the huddle, cold. There was also some other games. I remember playing in Tampa in late November where it was 94 degrees on the field. 
and it, it was so hot. You couldn't even play. The, here's the thing. You get used to being in cold weather or being in hot weather, and it's just hard to make that adjustment in that next week. Right, yeah. like Green Bay, go outside and practice in it. They're comfortable with it. They're used to it. Can't mimic that in Tampa. I mean, go into the bubble and turn it down to thirty-six degrees with some air conditioning. Right. Like you just can't mimic it. But unless it's really, really, here's the thing. I think, Kev, unless it really snows, because I'd rather have a little snow on the field than rain, because it doesn't mess up the field as much. Unless it really snows, or it's really windy or really cold, and wind affects both teams. It doesn't make a difference. The clothes that you wear now, the stuff they have, it's good enough that you're warm. There's heated benches. There's coats. There's everything on the sideline. Unless it's under 15, nothing. I don't think it makes a huge difference. Yeah. There's I, just too much that you have to wear. There's too, I don't know. It's got to be so cold. Uh, wind is always um, the worst in football. Um, hell, we saw it last week in the Ravens' uh, – buffalo game but it bothered buffalo just as much no doubt no doubt which is why you know it was a 17 to 3 game when you know it's the fewest points they've scored in a long time um i i think here here are a couple of big um thoughts about this game and then i'll let you have at it number one i actually think tampa is going to find it easier to move the ball offensively against green bay they played an exceptional defense last week in the Saints defense, and they played a good defense the week before in Washington's. They obviously had much more success torching Washington's defense than they did New Orleans. They needed the turnovers to beat the Saints. There's no doubt about that. The Green Bay defense, I think, is improved. I don't think it's the worst defense in the NFL, but they have been moved on. Hell, the Rams moved the football against them. They really did um, in that playoff game at times. Um, I watched their final game of the year where they they needed to clinch they needed to beat the Bears for the for home field advantage. And the Bears, who are not a good offensive team, they actually moved the football against Green Bay uh, in that game. Um, in fact, I'm looking at it right now because I knew they had a bunch of fourth downs. I had no idea. They were, they were five of six uh, Chicago was on fourth down. And it was the one they missed that really cost them the opportunity to take the lead in the fourth quarter. So I think Tampa's going to find it easier offensively than they have in their first two playoff games. With that said, I can't get past the absolute role that the Green Bay offense is on. They're just so in sync right now with just quarterback play at such a high level, wide receiver play at such a high level, running back play at such a high level. Like, it's really hard. It's like I've said to, to you about certain teams. We may have had this conversation late season or middle season, and I said there are a few teams when I watch them, I'm always surprised when they punt. And Kansas City and Green Bay are those teams this year. Like, if they get stopped in three downs and send their, send their punter out there, I'm, like, surprised. But Tampa's defense is good. And it might be better than the Rams' defense they faced last week because they didn't have to face Aaron Donald healthy. So, I don't know, man. My first instinct was Green Bay, 
But I really think this is going to be a great game, and I think Tampa's definitely got a chance to win it. And I think they win it by basically keeping pace with, with potentially with Green Bay by, you know, holding on to the ball. Somebody said to me last week when I, I think I was talking about the Rams, you know, using their offense to win, and they said, that's not the way teams think anymore, Sheehan. You're stuck in 1994 or 1987. You don't use offense to stop the other t- team's offense. Oh, really? You don't? Yeah. Um, yeah, you do. Yeah. Would you rather that team have 12 possessions or seven possessions? Would you rather your defense be on the field for 12 possessions or seven possessions? Look, I'm not suggesting that Tampa Bay move it from their own six-yard line to the Green Bay 41-yard line in 15 plays and eat up clock and not score. They have to score at the end of these things. But I do think that that is part of the the formula is that Tampa Bay can, with their running game and their balance, drive the ball, keep it away from Rodgers, and make Green Bay's defense pay at the end of those drives with scores. To the, to the point of that tweet, that was, that was Cleveland's game plan against Kansas City. It didn't end up turning out that way, but they wanted to keep it to an eight-possession game. Right. So yeah. they're thinking in terms of how many possessions can you keep Kansas City to. They're not thinking of that in terms of, well, if we can make them go on 13-play drives to score, then they'll have less possessions. Now, maybe that's a part of it that bend, it don't, bend don't break, but you're trying to maximize controlling the ball. Yeah. it's Not everybody thinks that way. Like Andy Reid doesn't think that way. No, he doesn't. That's not the way he's coaching. He's saying we're going to win – because we're going to get more possessions. But this is – I've told you this before. If, if you think that you're better than the team you're playing, then you want more plays, more possessions. Of course. If you think that that team's better than you, you want to limit their number of plays. It's the That's, same in almost every – it's the same in basketball. It's Shorten but, the game if you don't have the same talent, if you have lesser talent. And in, in shortening the game, if you keep Green Bay to nine – 10 maybe tops possessions and hold them to field goals instead of touchdowns on 50% of the times that they get into scoring rate into into field goal range or or into the red zone, then you have a real chance against them. Right. The thing that here's what will determine this game, in my opinion, for Tampa is can they blitz Aaron Rodgers and get to him the way they did in the last game that, that to me, they're going to play a different style of defense than they did against the Rams. The Rams haven't had to blitz as much a, a lot of this year because they've had Donald and they've had Leonard Floyd and they've had they, the Rams. Their defensive front is awesome. Tampa will come after Bulls is going to blitz him. It's just Bulls. I mean, anyone that watched the Washington game that didn't know Bulls and Tampa style defense, you saw very clearly they're going to keep coming. And so for me, does Devin White and Levante David get home? Does Indomitian Sue get some interior pressure, take some guys up on some of these blitz packages? I think they get Vita Vea back this week, who's been out since the fifth week of the season with a broken ankle. Right. Can Pierre Paul create pressure? They're going to come after him. You know, if you don't provide Rodgers with easy answers early, maybe you get there with some pressures. The problem with guys like Rodgers and some of these quarterbacks that are just unbelievable is – even if you get to third and 12, you, he still might get it. <laughs> I know. 
Yeah, I mean, that's why I'm always surprised when Kansas City and Green Bay punt because it can be third and 16, and it's still, you're like, if, you, if you're rooting for the defensive team in that situation, you're still like, ah, oh, God, I don't know. They probably can't stop them here. I mean, and with 90% of the teams, you're like third and 16, great. They're going to throw underneath. You're going to stop them. They're going to punt. You know, one of the things I thought Green Bay did interestingly um, last week is they, um, against a light box, ran the football. And I wonder if they will, you know, if if Tampa doesn't – well, Tampa's going to come with the pressure. They're going to load the box and break – I mean – They the, might not load the box – Every time they bring pressure, they bring pressure. That's the thing with Bulls is he brings pressure from every look. Yeah. That- so Tampa's going to come after him. So I think what determines this game is how Green Bay manages that. In first and second down situations, when Tampa brings five, do they get yards running the ball? Are they able to create? Does some of the play pass stuff end up working out? Or do you get pressure in Roger's lap and he's got to dump it to the back right now or he's got to dump it to, to a tight end turning around and then that's a two-yard gain instead of the big throw down the field? Can you match up with these guys? Like, obviously, Devontae Adams is the guy that you really think he's a, he's a critical we-have-to-double guy. Like right. Bill Belichick plays Green Bay. They're just taking Devontae Adams out of the game. Does Bulls take Devontae Adams out of the game and say, beat us with Alan Lazard or Valdez Scantling or Robert Tanya? Beat us with one of those three guys. There's no doubt that, there, there's no doubt they try to do that, don't you think? Well, there's no doubt that they should, but it's 50-50 when I watch a lot of these NFL games. Some teams just don't do that. I think they'll try to. Yeah. But then do they have an answer for what Green Bay and LaFleur will do with Adams moving him around? Does does LaFleur create matchups where he's number three in the slot in, in a trip set? Now all of a sudden, okay, how are we going to manage this? Are we going to move someone inside on him? Are we going to try to bracket him with linebackers? And now he's getting big plays. I, I To me, that's what it is, is do you get pressure on Rodgers the way they did in the first game? You know, that first game, Green Bay started, you know, basically 10 plays, field goal, next drive, 11 plays, touchdown, it's 10 nothing, And then they get the ball back after, you know, another Tampa Bay punt, up 10 nothing, and Rodgers throws a pick six. And then he gets it back again, and he throws another interception. And before you knew it, it was 28-10 at half. It was a weird game. It got away from him because of two Rodgers picks. Now, Rodgers was pressured. You know, he was sacked five times in that game. He was pressured a shitload of times in that game. Um, there were 13 quarter back hits in that game by Tampa's defense 13 um so they really got after him and made it uncomfortable for him how many times do you see Aaron Rodgers the final numbers being 16 of 35 the 160 yards put aside 16 of 35 um and it sacked four times his QBR in the game was 12.3 um but the games didn't start that way the game started with him shredding Tampa Bay on two straight possessions and taking a 10-0 lead. Ah, I, if you told me without the um, perspective of you know contrarian handicapping ideas, I think I would just say this is going to be a great game, but I think I'd lean that, that Rodgers and Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones figure it out. But 
I can tell you that's not what the smell test is going to say <laughs> coming uh, up here in a moment. Uh, I, I'm leaning towards Tampa. Yeah, we'll get to that. Uh, we'll get to our predictions in a second. What about Kansas City and Buffalo? I think this is the game that everybody wants to see. Both of them ratings? are. I, it, okay, yes. But this is the game that everybody wants to see. Everybody wants to see Kansas City play Buffalo. I actually think I I'm more interested in the play. first game. Brady versus Rodgers in the snow, I'm maybe. I'm, I'm interested in both of the games, but I'm really excited about this Kansas City-Buffalo game. Well, let's, uh, we are assuming that Mahomes is going to play. Yeah, you, I think you got to assume he's going to play. Right. It, our whole, you know, everything changes if he doesn't play. But we're assuming he's going to play. All right, go ahead. What do, what do you love about this game? Why are you so excited about this one? I think both of these both of these quarterbacks are exceptional as well, but they're both young and they're so much fun to watch, and they're different than the other two quarterbacks. That there's that there's this pure excitement to what Buffalo has become this year. Buffalo is by far my favorite team of the season, and I think in big part it's just because I'm watching a group of guys just really love ball. Like that's what I've seen with Buffalo is a group of guys that you can see is so hungry, it knows what they actually are that they love ball. I mean, the relationship with Allen and those receivers, especially Stefan Diggs and the excitement for the plays that they make and some of the stuff that Buffalo has done is, is been, has been awesome to watch. The job Brian Dable's done as the offensive coordinator with developing Allen has been awesome. Um, I don't know. I, I think this is, this is a really, really exciting game. Buffalo's got a score they'll play them probably a lot like they did earlier in the season where there's a lot more bend, but don't break. And I think that they can get some stops on defense. I don't know if they can truly shut down Kansas city, but, but I think Buffalo has got to score and I think they can score. That's the thing, Kev, the, the way Allen's been playing in the back half of the season, I think they can score. And I think he can run the ball. I think he, he could end up in this game with over 50 yards. They'll probably go back to some of that quarterback-designed run stuff, some quarterback draw stuff. But it, this, to me, this game is all on Josh Allen. Is the moment too big for him? It's been fun. It's been exciting. It's been a good, But this is a pressure spot that he's never been in, that he wants. And does he step up and answer that moment? Because I think if Buffalo scores and continues to put it on him, they have a they should win this game. There's a stat that I read early this morning um, about the Bills this year that I thought was interesting. Um, I'm not I'm not thrown off by it completely, but I just thought it was interesting. The the Bills averaged 64 yards rushing per game this year. That is fewer than all but one team to ever reach the Super Bowl. Only the 99 greatest show on turf Rams averaged fewer rushing yards than the Bills did and made the Super Bowl. Not won it, made it. So only one team has ever averaged in that level and made it to the Super Bowl. And what's ironic about their rush yards is it's the quarterback that ends up many times being their biggest run threat. I think that's. But you're talking about average 64 yards in the playoffs. No, for the season. No, in the regular season, they averaged 107 yards a game. Uh, That's not the stat I read. 
maybe maybe the stat I read maybe the stat I read 64 yards rushing in the playoff games. Okay, I can tell you because I'm reading it right now from the Elias Sports Bureau. The Bills averaged 64.0 rushing yards per game this season, fewer than all but one team to ever reach the Super Bowl. The '99 Rams averaged 41.0. If they meant the playoffs, then they just didn't write it that way, and that's fine. Um, And you know, let's face it, they didn't run it against Indy, really. They didn't run it against Baltimore. And when they do get rushing yards, it's not Singletary, it's not Moss, it's the quarterback that ends up being the biggest threat. Last week, the Chiefs had to actually defend against a very balanced offense. So I think the Chiefs actually, even though they're playing a more explosive offensive team, in some ways I have a feeling they will step up defensively and figure it out. Offensively, I think they're going to find it. I think it's going to be if as long as Mahomes is healthy. I think they're going to score a lot of points on Sunday. I mean, I, I could easily sing this be a game where both teams are in the 30s. Um, but I I think the Chiefs are going to be able to move the ball at will against Buffalo. Uh, and they'll, and and by the way, like they did in their first meeting, they will take what the defense gives them. The Chiefs in that first meeting, if you recall, because it was that afternoon game during the week. I forget if it was a Monday or Tuesday. It was a rescheduled uh, game during the course of the year, and they played it in, in, in Buffalo. And one of the incredible things about that game is you were like, Ah, it's Mahomes, it's you know Josh Allen or whatever. We'll see if Buffalo's any good. And Kansas City just kept handing the ball off over and over again. And because they basically said, if you're gonna if you're gonna be in nickel and you're gonna be in a light box, we're gonna run it with Clyde Edwards Alaire, who had 161 yards in that game. Kansas City rushed it 46 times for 245 in that game. I just think they're so capable of doing whatever it takes to move the football based on what you're doing defensively. Buffalo's a fast defense, but they're not big. I think Kansas City is going to score at will in this game. At will. That's the one thing that I feel confident about. Buffalo may match them. They may match them. But I think Kansas City is going to score at will. By the way, when we get to the smell test, the thing about the Chiefs, and I think I mentioned this last week, man, they just don't cover. They are 1-8 in their last nine games against the number. They are just not covering. Taking the dog against them has been a very healthy thing to do. Um, I'm not so sure I'll do it. No, I I mean – Buffalo can, they can play with their speed. They can play some of the bend, don't break stuff. It's just so hard against Kansas City because they just keep coming. And Andy's so creative. Yeah. I mean, look, it, it, you watched last week's game, and I think Tariq Hill had 107 yards. Kelsey had 107 yards or 100 plus. That's, a, that's the game Buffalo's got to keep those guys to. Like, I've heard a lot of people talk about this game and say, you have to put Tredavious White on Tree Kill, and you got to shut him out with that. <laughs> yeah, but then you're talking about, okay, we have to play straight man-to-man with this one dude. We have to compensate with our secondary with the rest of them. By the way, Josh Norman's smart enough to compensate and play some coverage behind it, but you still – you also have to shut down McCole Hardman. you got to worry about Sammy Watkins – you got Hilaire or Bell or whatever they're doing with the screen game. You getting some of that man-to-man stuff. Your secondary's turning their backs to the play. It's hard to just say lockdown just to re-kill when that offense has the weapons that that offense has, and Mahomes can make a play from anywhere. I, th- I think it's really hard to just say we're going to lock him out of the game with one dude. 
You can't. That's saying, that's saying you can even do it with that one. Dude. You can't. He's. He. You can't lie. You, you just. You. You really with the weapons they have. You have to limit him. Cooley. He's the number one weapon in the NFL. Do you agree with that? Who's a better weapon in the NFL, non-quarterback, skill position player, than Tyreek Hill? I think it's hard to say. It's. It's not Tyreek Hill, or Tyreek Hill. I mean, it could. He's the scariest guy. And he, yes, he scares you more than anybody else. No doubt. And you're playing There's some other big time weapons. I mean, Devontae Adams is a big time weapon. Stefan Diggs is really a huge I know. weapon. I know. But nobody scares you like Hill. And because he scares you, and then the, some of the stuff Kelsey can do, Kelsey's the biggest weapon at, at tight end. God, wouldn't you love I to mean, be a tight end on a team with Tyreek Hill? Wouldn't I like to be a tight end on a team with Aaron Rodgers, Josh <laughs> Allen, Patrick Mahomes? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but no, but the, Kelsey is the, uh, there's look. There's obviously a benefit to Hill, but Kelsey would he'd win anywhere. He'd be good anywhere. Yeah, no he's doubt. good, really good. I still think Buffalo's got a shot. I, I look, they, and it's not sixty-four yards a game during the season. They averaged; they were twentieth the league okay. in rushing. Okay, then, the then, then the stat they, they was a playoff. One hundred and seven yards a game. Yeah, for the, the season, it was a playoff stat. It, All it their great. backs, Singletary and Moss, both averaged over four yards a carry. They can run the ball. They, they, it's not; it hasn't been their mo in the playoffs. But Indy's one of the best run stop defenses in the league, and Buffalo's one of the best run stop de- defenses in the league. Tell you what could so be big pl- is if Kansas City gets Edwards Alaire back. He's been limited in practice after missing a bunch of games. Um, uh, having him back would be would be huge. Uh, all right, let's get to the smell test and the lock of the week right after this word from one of our sponsors. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly, it's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Smell Test Lock of the Week brought to you by MyBookie at MyBookie.ag. Go to MyBookie.ag, use my promo code, KevinDC, and they'll match your deposit halfway up to $1,000. They're going to give you every which way to bet on these two championship games, and you're going to get some free money to play with. If you have a site already, or if you have a guy already, sign up just for comparison shop purposes, you know, comparing the lines and the money lines and the pricing, and... Take the free money, uh, a deposit matched halfway up to a thousand bucks using my promo code Kevin DC at my bookie. Um, they're fair, their pricing is fair, their lines are fair, and you get paid if you win. You can trust me on that. Mybookie.ag promo code Kevin DC. Uh, let's get to the smell test. Kevin looks where the John Q public is putting their cash and does the opposite. 
It's, it's time, time for the, the smell test. test. All right, Cooley, last week, 0-2 with the Rams and the Ravens. Um, you know, I took every dog last weekend, so personally I went 2-2, two and two, but that doesn't help me on the smell test. So I'm four games under 500 with three games left. And basically, in terms of, you know, the smell test, I've got six available wagers left. Um, the, the sides in three games and the totals in three games. Uh, Fortunately for me, I'm not chasing here, which is the worst thing you can do as a gambler, getting down and then chasing, um, even when you don't love a game. Uh, All four of the uh, potential bets, potential wagers in these championship games really do fit the smell test criteria. I'll start with the NFC championship game. Green Bay's a a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, And the total is 52. The public likes Green Bay and the public likes the over uh, in this game. Um, I'll take the Bucks plus three and a half and I'll take the under 52 uh, in this game. Um, You know, it's a uh, I kind of like Green Bay to win the game. It's sort of what I thought all week long, but I can definitely see Tampa Bay winning the game and. The public, believe it or not, is big on the Packers. They're really big on the Packers on the money line. Um, And so I might even play the Bucs on the money line as well, not as part of the smell test. But uh, they love the over in this game, um, which is a little bit uh, interesting to me. Um, Now, last week, you know, typically what happens is recent scores dictate some of that. Um, now the, the Bucks won 30 to 20 uh, in the, over the Saints, and the Rams lost 32 18 to the Packers. Both of those would put it under uh, 52. But the public likes two teams that are capable offensively, um, even in a cold weather game, uh, to go over the total. So I'll take the Bucks plus three and a half, the under 52. And at Arrowhead, even though my first inkling when I when this matchup happened was I really thought Buffalo had a chance to win the game, the public does too. Um, right now, the public, the biggest side of of any of the two games is the public loves Buffalo uh, plus the three. So I'll take the Chiefs minus the three. The public also loves the under in this game, and that is just a pure function of recency. You know, seventeen to three last week, Buffalo and Baltimore, um, and the Chiefs in a 22-17 game. And not to mention their game earlier this year was 26-17. Um, in a So, you know, you basically had a 43-point total uh, in that one. Um, the total's 54. Uh, the public likes under. I'll go over. So I've got four plays, Bucks plus three and a half, Bucks Packers under 52, Chiefs minus three, Chiefs Bills over 54. There is your next to last smell test of the 2020-2021 season. If I go 4-0, I'm 500, and I have a chance to finish above 500 on Super Bowl Sunday. I think you're going to do it. All right, go ahead. What's your lock of the week? I'm going to go with, since I think both of these games are are really interesting in terms of, I think anyone can win either game. Yeah. And the covers are so close. I'm totally with you on the over in the Kansas City Buffalo game. I think they're two explosive offenses. I think at some point, both of these defenses will end up taking more risks than they do play bend but don't break stuff kansas city certainly will will come after Allen 
Kansas City can also score whenever they want to score. I think this ends up being a very high-scoring game. Potentially a who-has-the-ball-in-the-last-possession type of game. I do think Buffalo can win this game. I would be surprised. I would be surprised a little bit if they did. To me, Kansas City just knows how to do it. The question is, what what is Mahomes? Like, is the toe a problem? Is the concussion thing a problem? Does he stay in the game? Like, that's the one question mark that I would stay away from this game on, or I would lean towards Buffalo on. But I like the over because I think even if Henny plays, a boatload of points end up being scored. So the other game, yeah. I, I I think Tampa has a chance to win again, but I think this game could potentially look like the Saints Buccaneers game from a week ago, where Green Bay's the team that has the weapons to take it over later in the game. You know, another one for this thing, the Antonio Brown injury is, to me, a big deal. They didn't need him last week. They don't need him per se, but the idea that you have to cover him sure opens up Godwin. Right. And it sure opens up Brait and potentially Gronk. And it helps Evans get one-on-one coverage. And I look, this rookie Tyler Johnson's played really well for him, Love but he's him. not scaring anybody enough that they say we're going to do anything more than just play him. Antonio Brown scares people. Yeah, I mean, you, you we just listed, right? Diggs, Hill, um, Devontae Adams, and if Antonio Brown's in the game, it's like you ended up with the four gr- best quarterbacks or four, you know, three of the best in, in, one, in the greatest of all time and four teams with dynamic, scare you wide receivers. And by the way, only three of the, and only one of the four a good defensive team, Tampa. Yeah, you know it's funny we keep saying this. The Green Bay's Green Bay was ninth in the league in total yards per game. Yeah. Okay. They're not a bad defense. They're seventh against. The I guess pass. I'm just thinking about the games in which I saw where they had a chance to lose or they did lose. Teams move the ball against them. More like a Washington defense where they're good, not elite. I think Washington's defense is better than Green Bay's defense. I do. But I actually but Green th- Bay has uh, fair. I I understand where you're coming from with that. But Green Bay has a much better secondary. Definitely. Much better. I totally agree with, with that. Savage and Amos, Amos playing and safeties. Yeah. Yep. And then Alexander and Alexander. King at your corners. Alexander, They're, I think, is one of the top three or four corners in the game now. Right. So Green Bay is much better in the secondary. Fair, fair enough. I think Tampa's going to run the ball successfully against them. I do. I think they're going to run the ball. I think that they understand that that's a formula for how they've won the last few games. They've gotten to running the ball a little bit more. And Ronald Jones, well, how healthy is Ronald Jones' quad? I don't know. Uh, but he was certainly a factor last week. He was. And so was playoff Lenny. So is playoff Lenny. Whole playoff Lenny Fournette. I mean, he has risen from the regular season dead. Started against Washington. Went old. I have a question. Yeah, I have when, a question. When Rojo wasn't there. Yeah. What's the Super Bowl matchup you want to see? Oh, God. That's always such the topic. Um, I didn't do that this morning. I didn't have time for it. What's the it Super It doesn't have to be a huge topic. Um, it just, what actually, do you want to see here? Because uh, I think Green Bay, Kansas City is probably the best I, game. I I don't I think any one of the potential matchups is awesome. 
I mean, Kansas. Look, Mahomes versus Rodgers or Mahomes versus Brady is going to be with the you know one team trying to sure. defend their title and win back to back Super Bowls is really like I can tell you from a TV rating standpoint, any of these games is going to draw a massive audience. I mean, like there's no downside to the network. Who has it? CBS. Um, it, any one of these four matchups, like you're not in in a situation where you got to worry about Jacksonville being in the Super Bowl. Not that look, the Super Bowl is the Super Bowl, and it's always going to do a massive number. But you know, the, having a marquee quarterback matchup like Mahomes against Brady or Mahomes against Rodgers, oh my God, wow. I mean, last year you had Mahomes against the 49ers. The 49ers were not a sexy team. The year before that, you had Rams Patriots. And the year before that, you had, uh, you know, Foles and – actually, what, what year did I miss here? I missed – yeah, 49ers-Chiefs last year. And then um, the year before that was the uh, Rams-Patriots. Anyway, uh, th- do you have an answer to that? I really don't have an answer to that. I don't – I think any one of these matchups uh, will, will be phenomenal. I want to see Josh Allen in the Super Bowl. You might next year. Not this year. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't see Kansas City uh, losing. Okay. I could. I mean, the I point could, is, is I want to see me. Josh Allen in the Super Bowl. Yeah. I, but other than that, I don't care. Um, it'd be good I have, for I Aaron have a Rogers question. Career. I have it a question. Very that, good for Aaron Rodgers' career. That's where I was going to win another Super. Bowl. That's where I was going. Okay, so pretty much, I think we had this conversation, Tommy and I did yesterday. Brady to me, is already cemented. He's the greatest of all time. By the way, we had a long conversation about Philip Rivers' career um, yesterday. You know how much I love Rivers. Um, but I, uh, uh, Brady's already the greatest of all time. But the bigger question is, what if Rodgers loses in a championship game again? What does it say? To me, it doesn't say anything. I mean, I've watched Rodgers with my own eyes. He's one of the seven, six, five, six, seven, eight greatest quarterbacks I've ever watched. If he never wins and gets to another Super Bowl, I'm not going to feel any differently. Dan Marino, to me, is in the conversation of the four or five greatest quarterbacks of all time. He went to one Super Bowl and lost it. Rodgers, I've watched him. I I know how great he is. You know, if he doesn't get to another Super Bowl or win another Super Bowl, it's not going to change my opinion of him. What about you? It won't change my opinion of him because I'm with you. I watched him play last week. He's unbelievable. (laughs) <laughs> but look at Brady's playoff wins. You're like, okay, well, he's the best. Yeah, uh, Brady Rodgers getting to the Super Bowl isn't going to supplant, you know, Brady or Elway or in in my mind's eye. Um I, it's just but but if Rodgers were to go to and win two more Super Bowls or three more Super yeah, Bowls, yes. he could supplant Elway. Uh, there's no doubt. Rodgers has more career left. Like if Rodgers goes on to win two or three more, including this year, now all of a sudden he's you know on that Mount Rushmore. But he is already a guy that you know you're like, ugh. If he just had the postseason, he'd be a lock for Mount Rushmore um, because we've all watched him play and we know how great he is. He's just so great. You know, there, there, there were some years there where people watched Brady and said, "Ah, it's he's a you know he's a product of this system product. and the coach and the whole thing." All right, enough of that. Now, I never felt like that. I know. Um, all right, final score predictions. Let's get out of here. Uh, I've got Tampa Bay winning outright, twenty-four to twenty-two. 
There's a missed two-point conversion at the end to force overtime. And I've got Kansas City 42-31 to 31 over Buffalo. Those are my two. I, again, let me be clear on this. No, 42-31. to 31. Kansas City 42-31, yeah. Whoa. That would be an over. That's a big score. Yeah, well. Get a lot of right. desperation in these games and these championship games at the end. You get a lot of, you know, not hand, you know, throwing in the towel and calling timeouts and extra possessions and throwing, going for it from your own, you know, twenty-two yard line late, and you get a bunch of scores sometimes in these games. Forty-two, thirty-one. What? what give me your two scores. Final score. I have persons. Green Bay winning thirty to twenty. Okay. Over Tampa. So you don't like Tampa plus the three and a half? Nope. Okay. I, I Look, I like it. I think it's a s- smart play. I just think Green Bay is going to be too much at the end of the Well, then ball. you don't think it's a smart play. Well, you're right. <laughs> okay. You're, you're, 30 you're to right 20 Green Bay over Tampa, Kansas City, Buffalo. I think this one ends up being wild. 31-30 Buffalo. They walk off with a field goal. All right. That gets you. You're over. I've got Bucks plus three and a half, Bucks Packers under, Chiefs minus three, Chiefs Bills over. Cooley's lock of the week is Chiefs Bills over 54. We both see that game being a shootout on Sunday. We will both be back on Monday to recap the games and obviously follow up on any Washington football team news. I did just see the passing of Hank Aaron. Um, so sad. What a legend. 86 years old. Have a chance to talk about that with Tommy when we get to Tuesday's show. All right, Cooley, uh, enjoy the two games on Sunday. I'm glad it won't really stress your day. Uh, Saturday's wide open now for you to go four-wheeling or fishing or whatever you want to do. Um, and uh, we will reconvene Monday. Sounds good to me, Kev. See you.